talk for two weeks, because I'm splitting this up into two. Uh, we're going to talk about the whole armor out of Ephesians 6. And today we're going to talk about that what you wear matters. What you wear matters. And I'm going to give you a real-life scenario that has just played out for me for the last three days. That what you wear matters. Anybody that doesn't know, we um, we decided, you know, we have a tent, and uh, we got this big canvas tent, like duck canvas, like military-grade stuff tent. And so we decided that we would go tent camping since uh, Thursday night. We went and had Thanksgiving dinner with, with our family, with my parents and uh, my sister and my nephew. And then we headed out about 1.45, and we drove over to right near Jackson, Georgia, at High Falls State Park. Beautiful place. We posted some pictures, you know, the falls and all this stuff. And, and I got to hang out with Wes and Will, and Will is, is Adventure Central. Um, he went with me around behind. There's an old abandoned hydroelectric plant that was built back in the late 1800s. And then it, they ended up uh, taking it out of commission when the railroad bypassed that area and actually went over to Jackson, Georgia. And so this was like somewhere around the 1950s, I think, this, this hydroelectric plant was finally shut down. So we go up behind it and... And uh, we, we, he and I go all the way down because everybody else was being lazy on vacation. And, and if you didn't see the picture, you know, I, I said it, it kind of covered everything for us because Dennis was laid out on the ground. Um, Michelle and all the rest of them, by the time I took the next, pic next picture, they were all laying on the ground in the sun, you know, hanging out while Will and I go, we're heading down trying to find this, uh, trying to find the falls. We could hear them. Well, during these, uh, I don't know what the weather was like here, and I thought being there since it was a little south, you go over to Atlanta and you go 75 south for about 20, 27 miles or so, I thought it would be warmer. So during the day, it was great. During the day, it would, it would get up into the, you know, the, like the low 60s. We had some days in the low 60s, and the first night, uh, we had a, we had a uh, I, now I plan. I'll go ahead and tell you that. I planned for it to possibly be cold. So I had taken an electric heater, and we had that in a tent because our tent's like seven and a half feet in the middle, and, uh, and it's got vents up top, so I knew, all right, we're not going to die, you know, being inside this tent with a heater running. But I thought, ah, you know, I looked at the weather. It's not, not really going to be that cold. Well, the first night, um, you know, we go in, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, go to sleep, and we we got an air mattress. Caleb and Ben were in a different tent, and uh, Jerry and Dennis and the boys, they were in a separate tent. And so I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm going to throw on some gym shorts, you know, and I'm going to sleep. Man, I woke up. <laughs> I woke up. And, and I'm, I'm surprised I didn't chip a tooth. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, it was, it was cold. It was cold, and I mean, we had a big blanket, you know, uh, Michelle, Michelle had her own little blanket stuff, and we got a queen air mattress, and, and, and I've got this big cover over me, but I'm like, my goodness, it is cold, and we were camped from about here to the kids, well, maybe a little further than that, maybe about half again from the bathhouse, one of the bathhouses in, 
And I'm like, it is cold, and I need to go to the restroom. <laughs> and it's cold. And so I held on what I thought was, had to be an hour. Because I was like, I, I had to have slept for a while. We'd gone to bed at like 9. And I'm going, man, it's got to be about 4 in the morning. If I can just hold on a little while longer. Then, you know, it'll start warming up. And finally, Michelle stirred a little bit. And I said, I didn't have a cell phone there near me. I didn't have anything. I said, I said, honey, what time is it? And she said, it's 12 o'clock. <laughs> I said, oh, my goodness, 12 o'clock. I said, honey, I need to go to the restroom. She said, oh, good, I do too. <laughs> I said, it's cold, honey. And I said, your phone's got it. it tells you what the temperature is. I said, man, how cold is it? She looked and she said, it says 54. I said, I don't believe it. <laughs> After night two, I believed that night one was 54. <laughs> because night two was 34. <laughs> night two was 34. But here's the thing I learned in, about for, for this message. You know, sometimes God just uses real life illustrations for me personally. I had, you know, because, you know, when I, since I've been doing this running and stuff in the mornings and, and a couple times during the week at night, I had the running pants, you know, the, for, I'm sorry, but few ladies, it would be yoga pants. Yeah. <sighs> but men, we don't call them that, right? We, we're not calling them, there's no yoga pants. But I, I had some running pants. That I, so I said, we, we got up that first night and we're going, man, I said, all right, I'm putting these things on. Come back, I put them on. I put me, I put my long sleeve running shirt on. And I said, Oh, this is nice. So then it was warm most of the rest of the night, but it was it was about around 50 degrees. But I don't know why it was so cold. I don't know why. The, the next day we get up and it gets up into the 60s. And the minute the sun gets up and it's clear, it warmed up so much. And I was like, oh, this is fantastic. This is great. It's warm. And so when it's coming toward that night, I'm going, you know what? It's been warm all day. I'll do this again. I didn't learn. I didn't learn. I wake up, and it's like 2 in the morning. And it's cold. It's really cold. It's twice as cold. Maybe four times as cold. I don't know what it was, but it was, and I mean, I was, I was like, uh, I, I was having to shake laying in the bed, and I, and I was, I was mind over matter. I was trying to do mind over matter. I, I, I focus, so oh, I can, I can stop myself from shaking. <laughs> I can hold it just for a minute. And and so as I was thinking through, and, and God was putting on my heart what what to preach this morning, I realized that I, my Inability to learn. I tried it the third night, I'll have you know. I thought, but but I thought, well, I'll put on, you know, I'll I'll just, but I'll go with a short sleeve shirt. When I woke up at about four, right before four this morning, the heat I had the heater wide open because I planned. I planned last night. And what I did was about four o'clock yesterday afternoon, I zipped up the windows in our tent. And I cut the heater on wide open. Because I thought, oh, you're going to get this. 
You thought I've been rambling just for about five minutes, but I'm setting you up. I thought if I try to change my circumstances, I won't have to change myself. So I put my heater on, and I ran it from 4 o'clock until the time we went to bed. Now, I just want to tell you something. That heater was a great buy. It was $24.99, and it was 40% off at Dirt Cheap. Just want you to know. That little heater, it runs 360 degrees. It, put heat, it puts heat off in a circle. You don't really, it just, it goes in a circle. And I thought, that's pretty good right there. And if I'll take that thing and I'll start it about 4 o'clock and I'll just let it heat all day. You know, for, well, all afternoon then. And then this will be good. And man, when we first stepped in there, I think it was hot. I mean, you stepped into that tent, it's like, whoo. And I said, I can get by wearing them gym shorts and a short sleeve shirt tonight. Because I changed my situation, I thought. Changed my environment rather than trying to change me. 4 o'clock this morning. It was cold. And we were having to get up and take the tent down. We were, we were two and a half hours away at 4 o'clock this morning. And so, so we're having to get up. And I was so cold. And I came outside and there was frost all over stuff on the back. Because we'd already packed everything except the tent and some electrical frost all over everything on the back of the truck. I learned something over the last three days. I learned that what you wear matters. And just trying to change the, the situation, just trying to change the environment because you're too stubborn and too hard-headed to change yourself doesn't work. Because what I learned was the environment and the circumstances around me were stronger and more powerful than what I was. I thought that I could overcome them by taking that heater, but that heater wasn't strong enough to match up against Mother Nature. I think she probably chuckled a little. <laughs> Went, look at him. Isn't that sweet? He's going to run that heater from 4 o'clock home. I'm going to freeze him to death. I mean, it's just what it was like. But I really thought, because I was determined. You know what I was telling myself? I was telling myself Man, if I got to put those things on and it's as hot as it is right here, I'm going to be sweating. I was telling myself how that doing the right thing was going to inconvenience me. I was telling myself that making a change in me instead of trying to change just the circumstances in the environment that I really couldn't control anyway, but, but, but that it was going to be too much trouble for me to change me than it would be for me to do so and respond appropriately to the environment and to the circumstances that were around me. But I had to learn the hard way that it mattered what I wore. Well, we get to Ephesians chapter 6 where Paul is talking about the armor of God. And this is what we see. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. That's an important phrase. He doesn't just say put on the armor of God. He says put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. What do we wrestle against? Against rulers? 
against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil that are in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole, there it is again, the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, this is for Paul, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So we have Paul who is telling us that there is an armor set. You know, in, in their time you had, you had all of these warriors. It's an interesting thing because... He brings up this idea that you need to put on the whole armor of God, and he gives you all of these armor pieces, including only one offensive weapon, by the way. He gives a defensive weapon in the form of a shield. We're going to talk about that second half of that next week. But he gives one defensive weapon, if you will, in the form of the shield. He gives one offensive weapon in the form of the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But everything else is in order to protect us. Everything else is in order to do something to make sure that we are not made incapacitated for being in the battle. So we're going to start with the belt. He says you need to, you need to the, 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 the King James Version says you need to have your loins girt about. That always sounds exciting. You need to have your loins girt about. When these guys would go about entering into a conflict, most of the, um, you know, the typical dress in that time was not blue jeans. It wasn't dungarees. It wasn't slacks. It wasn't any of that. Everybody was wearing robes. Guys were wearing robes. How about that? I'm glad we don't live then. I'm just telling you. You know? I kind of I kind of like my blue jeans, you know, or whatever. But but guys were wearing robes, they, and and so they would have long robes. They would often have long robes. Now you, we we often get the the mental image of the Roman army, and the Roman army you would see these guys that had on a much shorter robe that that was up about knee height, and so sometimes I think that's what we believe they had. But these guys actually would be wearing the typical longer robe. And then they would have this belt about their waist, and there were several things that this belt would do. One of these that, that in particular, again, we'll address next week is the belt would hold the sword. There's an interesting thing that we're going to tie into on this because he says that this belt 
is truth. Having your loins girt about with this belt that is, that is truth, the belt of truth. Now, the interesting comparison here is that he talks about the sword, which he says is the word of God, but yet we know that the word is what is truth. Our emotions are not truth. The, the, the way we feel about things are not truth because there are many times where I will find that how I feel about something is not in line with what God's word says. You know, I will feel like I need to attack when somebody attacks me. But the Bible gives some of this difficult stuff about turning the other cheek and, and you know, and loving your enemies and praying for them and blessing them and in so doing you heap coals of fire on their head. And man, we don't we like the coals of fire portion. We like that concept. We just don't like the idea that we're supposed to love those that that do evil to us, that we're supposed to bless those that persecute, that we're supposed to... Man, that's, that's not... That seems impossible even to us. But there's an interesting connection between having a belt of truth that therefore will hold a sword of truth. We're going to talk about the belt here. The belt not only uh, would hold the sword, but it held everything else in place. And for this long, this long uh, uh, robe that you would have on, when you would gird up, it's not a word we use very often. When's the last time you told somebody you need to gird up? <laughs> it's not like man up. That's not what. That's not what it is. The the gird up was you needed to. You needed. You would take your robe, and oftentimes you you might. There's a whole wrap process they would do, but you could take from behind and pull up, and the ladies would probably be better at this than what us guys would now. And you'd take and tuck that thing into your belt so that now you freed your legs up so you could run. Because they weren't expecting that you were going to lollygag around about going into battle. You were expected to be able to be mobile, agile, but never fragile. You were supposed to be where that you could get mob mobility, and so you would gird up your robe into that belt and tuck everything in and it would hold everything so that you could go get into the fight. There's a lot of people that they're not really in the spiritual fight. That's oh, but but I gave my heart to Christ. And that's great. That's great. And if and if God's only plan for us was that, you know, oh, well, I want you guys to all get saved and that way once you are, then I can just be blessing you and nothing has to happen beyond that. But we are in a fight. That's what the first part of this says. Remember, he says, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor. Why? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Why? Because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. It, gets, it goes through this list of stuff. I think one of the challenges that, that the church world faces is we want to fight with each other. We want to fight with the church across town. We want to fight with the church somewhere across the country. We want to fight with somebody that's a little bit different in what they express their beliefs than what we are. Instead of looking to the core things, do you believe that Jesus is the only way to the Father? Do you believe that you're, only, you're saved you know, through grace uh, by, by faith in Christ alone? Do, do you believe that, that, that baptism is not what saves you, but baptism is what you do if you're going to follow after Christ? It, it, when we get there, do you believe in the virgin birth? Do you believe that God came to, and died for all men, died for all people? You, all these basic things. 
But instead, we sometimes get in where our fight is with other men instead of with the principalities and the powers that are behind the issues. I mean, it's a struggle because our world right now is facing so much difficult. There's so much pain. There's so much division. There's so much hurt. And the church world is not at times doing that much to help solve that. Because instead of realizing that, man, we're not going to fight this fight. Look, we can go out here and try to stop drugs as much as we want to. We can go out here and try to stop alcoholism as much as we want to. We can go out here and try to stop prostitution as much as we want to. But if there is not a spiritual change that happens in people's lives, they're truly not free. You may help somebody learn how to cope. You may help somebody even break an addiction, but we still haven't addressed the real important need in people's lives, which is to come to Jesus Christ. Because he is the power. He is the authority. He is the one that, amazing grace, my chains are gone. Well, that didn't come because we went through a five-step program. I'm not against programs. I'm I'm part of one with the Fatherhood Initiative, and we're about to have some good stuff happening within within the the county and within the the penal system to be able to help men and, and help them be fathers and understand how to do it. But you know what? If Jesus Christ does not end up changing someone's heart, I may have even helped make their life better right now, but I've left them hanging for eternity. He says, you need, to, you need to get this belt of truth. I, I thought about today, but, but by the time, you know, sometimes God will give me these illustrations at the last minute on stuff. But, so if anybody wants to give up a belt and they have a knife and they don't mind me hacking their belt up, that'd be great. But, but I'm not going to ask you to do that today. Um, <laughs> just kidding. But here, here's, what I, here's what I thought about. I was, I was thinking about uh, as I was printing everything off this morning, I said, Wow. I think maybe the reason that a lot of people are struggling when it comes to running in their spiritual life. Have you ever had a belt that's too short? Yeah. You know, I know that feeling. I've been thankful. You know, hey, these 50 pounds that's gone now, I'm getting belts back. I just want y'all to know. It's like a bad country song played backwards. I, I got my clothes back. I got my belt back. You know, I already had my wife, though. I didn't have to get her back. But, <laughs> but you know what? You don't know, because that's one of the worst feelings is when if, if you've packed a suitcase and you've gone somewhere and you threw a belt in and, and you go to get and, you know, and you, you, you need to put your belt on to hold your pants in place. And you go to pull that thing around and it won't fit. I think that's why a lot of people can't run in their spiritual life. Because when he talks about the belt of truth, Jesus said something about the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Now, what was Jesus? John says that Jesus was the Word made flesh. And then he came down and he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. He's the only begotten of the Father. So Jesus was the Word made flesh. Jesus said the Word made flesh is the truth. So the Word is the truth. Okay? That's a simple connection there. That's just Scripture. So if, if the Word is truth, then why is it that so many people are struggling spiritually to have the belt in place on their life? The reason is is because you only got about half a belt. 
Because what we want to do is, and this is what I found, and I, I, was, I was even having this conversation with Michelle uh, within the last week. I said, you know, many times a lot of people are very adamant, even legalistic, about the portions of truth that they want to apply to other people. Oh, I can see, this is where that whole beam and, and spec scripture comes into play, right? You know, hey, I got no problem then spotting all the truth that needs to apply to your life. All the truth that needs to fit in your situation. So see, I, all right, so I got that half the belt. Oh, yeah, that truth right there. Brother Stephen needs to straighten his life up because the word of God, you notice how we start doing stuff like that. Y'all know it's true. You know, when we start talking about this stuff, we start getting, y'all start sounding like a preacher. You know, when y'all gossiping, I mean, when y'all just talking about something, no, you know, you'll start sounding like a preacher. You start putting multiple syllables into stuff. The word of God says that he needs to be straightening this up in his life. But you know what? You ain't got the other half of the belt because you don't want the part of the truth that applies to you. Well, can I get an amen? amen. See, so, and, and here's how people will excuse that stuff. Here's, how, here's some sayings that people will use. People say stuff like, well, when, when it comes to that with me, that's just my personality. Mm. What's that old saying? Either At times you can either amen or oh me, whichever one fits. Oh, well, that's just my personality. Or, well, that's just the way I am. God made me the way I am. We're going to talk about that. I can't help it. I've always been that way. Now, I want you to stop and think about something. When somebody says, well, that's just my personality, or that's just the way I am, or, well, I've just always been that way. You know what? That's the same excuse for bad behavior that people use to justify homosexuality, that people use to justify alcoholism and other addictions. Well, ever since early on, I've just always been that way. Mm, mm. I've told y'all before, and I, I, it's one of the... Man, if you ever get your hands around this, it'll change your thinking about all that. You'll catch yourself when you're about to say, oh, I can't help it. That's just the way I am. Because the minute that you start realizing that the Word of God says that old things are passed away, and behold, all things are made new, and that He has raised you to walk in newness of life. Now, does that mean that God just all of a sudden, He took everything about you and every bad thing that was there, and He just wiped all of that out of your personality and all stuff? No. But if you're still excusing it and you're still explaining it and you're still saying, oh, that's okay because that's the way I am, you need to get on your knees before Jesus is what needs to happen. Because all that is is an attitude that says, I'm still in control of these areas of my life and I'm not going to surrender them to God and I'm not going to let God change me in that area. Now look, over, I'll be honest, over a period of years, we all grow and change if we allow God to do that because He has taken us through that process of maturing. But if we want to deny the use of the truth, that belt that's supposed to have everything in place, it's supposed to keep us ready to be able to run. It's supposed to keep us ready to where we can fight, where we can be engaged spiritually. But when you only got half a belt, 
You ever seen somebody when they got some pants that's not fitting exactly right and you got half a belt? What do, they, what do you have to do? Got to hold, hold them up. So, so you got this deal going right here, don't you? You trying to, you trying to hold that? I mean, nowadays, don't nobody just hold them up. You just let them go. They just be somewhere down here. You sure enough can't run, because you go to run, and you're going to drop like a rock. You can't run with that stuff tied up around here. But you'll be, you'll be, you'll be holding like this. And don't you hate it if you're ever, you ever working and you've forgotten your belt? Every time you go do something, what do you got to do? You got to hike them up. Go do it. You hear in a minute, you got to. It distracts you from what you're supposed to be focused on. When you ain't got but half a belt or no belt at all, when the truth is not in effect in your life and holding things in place, you get distracted from the mission of what you're supposed to be doing. Because now everything's not where it ought to be. You having to, you can't even use both hands to be about the work of God because you're trying to hold your life together because the word of truth is not holding your life together. Because you want to deny the truth that would change and impact who you are, but you know all about the word of truth that needs to change everybody else. I'm, I, if I don't quit, I'm going to, keep, I'm going to get to meddling. I'm going to bring something up that somebody's doing or something, and then they're going to think I'm preaching about them. <laughs> you just gonna, it just happens. I, I, side note here. Side note here about the truth and, and how we want to apply it to others, not apply it to ourselves. Does anybody know what the testimony is or what your, what your oath is that you take before you testify in court? This is not a test to find out who's been in court because I know that... <laughs> but but all right, there you go. All right, there's three there's three phases. You, you got two of them. There's one that comes before it builds the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. See, a lot of people like the concept of oh well well I'm just because here's what we'll say when we go to talk about somebody else we'll go well now I'm not trying to hurt you I'm just speaking the truth. Right? Oh, well. I'm not trying to be, now I'm not trying to be ugly. Well, you ain't got to try. What's fixing to come out just is. It ain't, you ain't got to try. It's not a hard effort. But, but see, they want it. that's the first part of that sworn testimony. I don't tell the truth. Yeah, but you ain't telling the whole truth. Because if you tell them the whole truth, then you're going to go look in the mirror and go and speak some truth to yourself. After you're worried about telling all the truth to everybody else and go, I ain't trying to be ugly, I'm just speaking the truth. Well, you need to go look in the mirror and say, hey, self, I ain't trying to be ugly to you, but I just got to tell not just the truth, I got to tell the whole truth. And then when, we, when you start saying it, letting that mouth start saying, but you know, that's just my personality, you need to stop and say, hang on, self, I got to tell the truth the whole truth, and I need to shut up on that right there because I need to tell nothing but the truth. Mm. I better move on to the breastplate. Truth, truth's going to get us in trouble. So then he says you need to, you need to uh, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Breastplate of righteousness. Now, there's a lot of scholars that believe that Paul is... There's two, there's two kinds of righteousness, all right? There's two levels of righteousness. 
There's positional righteousness, which we get through Jesus Christ. In other words, he took us from a position of that we were not righteous because of our sin, because of all the, 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 the things in our lives. But in Jesus then, that's why we always say that you're saved you know, uh, through faith, by grace, in Christ Jesus. Because the Bible even talks about, says that when he's, he has taken us and he has lifted us to heavenly places and we're seated in Christ Jesus. It's not just that Jesus gets to come and do something in you. We get taken and we get absorbed, if you will, into the person of Jesus Christ. It's not just, you know, we get to be a little house. Yes, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit and God, can, God comes and lives inside of us. But yet we become part of His body. We become part of Him. So positionally... When Jesus Christ paid the price on Calvary and our lives get changed and we accept the payment that he's made, we're moved out of a, a position of being a debtor to being debt-free. We're moved out of the position of being a sinner. I know people struggle with this. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't, I don't want to hurt your bumper sticker slogan or anything like that. But when people say, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, I'm sorry. I, I don't find that's in the Scripture. That's not in the Scripture. Because once you've been changed by Jesus Christ, you're no longer a sinner who just, you have been made into the family of God. You have been made into a saint. You go, wait a minute. Now, I think about saints is they don't do anything wrong. Well, you need to get a different version of saints. Jesus is the only one who's not going to do anything wrong, but you have been in Christ Jesus. So don't disrespect the work that he did. This ain't about you. This isn't about you. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Right? So in Christ, no, I'm not a sinner anymore because sinners go find their place in the lake of fire. I'm not a sinner. You say, wait a minute, are you saying you don't ever do anything wrong? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that in Jesus Christ, I've been moved out of that category and positionally, I've been moved over here to I've been grafted in. And that's why there ought to be a, a, a sense in us of, of awe, of, of honor, of, of the, the, the awesomeness of what God has done for us and that ought to drive us in in realizing that Jesus, through His actions on the cross, reconciling us to God, moved us from death to life, debtor to being debt-free, from being a sinner to being a saint, from being unworthy to being worthy. Wait a minute, I'm not worthy, but we are in Christ. Because we, we get the great benefit. That is His mercy and His grace. Grace is unmerited favor. His grace that He extends to us says, I will give to you that which belongs to Jesus Christ, which is why you are now, the Bible says, made joint heirs. You're not just also an heir. That was an, that was, that's an amazing concept, by the way, of being a joint heir. Because in the... In the Jewish customs, you, you remember the firstborn would be the one who received the largest inheritance. They weren't joint heirs. The firstborn son, he received the largest portion. The one after that, he received something less. So they weren't joint. It was number one, number two. But the Bible says that in Christ, we have been made joint heirs with Jesus to receive. Oh, that's too good. Y'all aren't ready for that. Y'all aren't ready for that. Breastplate of righteousness. Most, most scholars believe that he was 
reminding them not just to remember their positional righteousness in Jesus Christ, but also reminding them you need to live righteously. Philippians 3, 8 and 9 says this, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with Him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with Himself depends on faith. Saved through faith, by grace, in Christ. There you go. Righteous living is like a breastplate. An armored breastplate. What is if you're wearing armor on this area, what is it protecting? Your body. Protecting your body. What's inside your body? Your heart. Your heart. What else? Your lungs. What are all those things? All your organs. All your vital, all the stuff that makes you alive. He says, the righteousness, you get a twofold effect from this. The righteousness of Jesus Christ that has positionally made us righteous, because I now, he said there, I now no longer count on my righteousness in keeping the law, but instead I count on my righteousness in Jesus Christ, because the righteousness that God is going to provide comes through faith, comes through faith in the finished work of the cross that Jesus Christ did. So my positional righteousness protects me because now... He has established for me eternal life in Jesus Christ. So everything that keeps me alive is protected by the positional righteousness. But here's something, though. Righteous living protects the inner man. I was reading in a commentary. I want to share it with you about this. But I asked myself a question. I read Ephesians 4, 24, and this is what it says. It says, put on your new nature, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Put on your new nature. By the way, there's another verse that you need to put on your mirror if you struggle with telling yourself, I'm just made that way, and I just that's just my personality. You need to put Ephesians 4, 24 on your mirror then. And remind yourself to put on the new self. By the way, that's an interesting thing. He he gave that as a direction for us to do. He didn't say, I'm going to force this new person on you. He said, put on your new nature. Sounds to me like you can almost have a choice that you choose to fight putting on the new nature. A lot of people don't want to put off their old nature. They like being sarcastic and grumpy and mean spirit. Oh. Mm. So I gotta quit. I'm gonna meddle with it. So I had to ask myself a question. When I read Ephesians 4:24, it said, put on your new nature. I, I asked myself this: Are we truly living in truth if we are not changing more and more into this new nature? And have we truly put on the righteousness, the positional righteousness of Jesus Christ that I'm no longer over in this other camp, 
but I'm in this camp because of Jesus Christ. Because every time that I say things like, that's the way I am, you're saying I've not allowed the changing work of Jesus Christ to affect me. Wow. So we want him to save us so we don't go to hell, but we don't want him to change us so we'll live right. Oh, I, I want him to make sure that my destination's good, you know. But I'd rather, we talked about this last week, but I'd, I'd actually Wednesday night, but I'd rather, I'd rather take the highway to hell than to take the narrow gate to life. This is what this commentary said. Satan is the accuser. But he cannot accuse the believer who is living a godly life in the power of the Spirit. i got to stop right there for a minute because I've often heard people say, oh, well, if, if, if Satan, he's the accuser of the brethren, which the Bible says. And, and, and so if he's accusing you, then you just need to know you're doing something right. Well, that sounds good. Makes you feel better about the, you know, that you're getting accused of stuff, right? But what happens if people accuse you of something and your life is so blatantly not what they're accusing you of? How long does the accusation really last? I mean, if, if somebody comes and says, oh, oh I, I, man, I, that guy over there, Boy, he just, last, last Sunday night, I saw him at such and such place, and he was doing this, and he was doing this, and he was doing that. And the people sitting there going, no, he wasn't. They go, oh, yeah, he was. No, he wasn't, because he wasn't where you're saying he was, because he was at church with us. You said he was at the club doing this. You said he was over here doing this, and he wasn't, because he was sitting on the front row in church with us. Look, Satan can go to accusing all you want to, but if, he, but if your lifestyle is godly, he can't accuse you of all that much because you're living a life that disproves what it is that he's been accusing. It goes on to say, the life we live either fortifies us against Satan's attacks or it makes him easier for him to defeat us. When Satan accuses the Christian, it's the righteousness of Christ that assures the believer of his salvation. But our positional righteousness in Christ without practical righteousness in the daily life only gives Satan opportunity to attack us. See, what, here, here's the simple of what he's saying. Look, you got adopted into the family. And yes, you're able to go and say, no, I, I'm, I'm one of God's children. But you're living like you're the devil's child. Right? You're not living like the name that you're bearing. But you want to run around and go, no, 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 no. It's kind of like, it's kind of like rich kids. Oh, I'm fishing. <laughs> it's kind of like rich kids that's got away with stuff all their lives, and then they get arrested. And, and what, you know the stupid stuff they say? Do you know who my daddy is? <laughs> I don't know who your daddy is, but you just broke the law, and you're going to jail. It don't matter who your daddy is. Oh, he got some good lawyers. Yeah, and we got you on videotape. <laughs> it don't matter. Right? I mean, hey, 
And I feel like at times when I read this and think about this breastplate of righteousness, what we want to do is we just want to claim the positional righteousness all the time. We over here not doing right, not living right, not acting right, not talking right, not walking right. But then when the devil comes along and accuses, we want to go, oh, you got to stop accusing me because I'm a child of God. <laughs> and he's going, and you guilty because you was at the club, because you were doing this, you did say that, you did act like this. And what it does, it creates a problem. Because lifestyle allows you to be accused by the enemy. And guess what you got to do when you're accused? You got to defend yourself. Where when your lifestyle already defends you and your position in Christ already defends you for eternity, there's nothing for you to have to fight. Because you can allow your life and the righteous living that you're doing to say, hey, that matches up with the righteous standing that I have in Jesus Christ. But you have to wonder, if you just want righteous standing, but you think you want to live unrighteously, how does that work? The last one that we're going to cover today, then we get where he says you need to have your feet King James Version says you need to have your feet shod. You get your shoes on. I got a friend. He's a farrier. That's not somebody who raises ferrets. That's not what it is. A farrier, they shoe horses. You know? So that horse has been shod. He's had shoes put on. He got kicked one time, too. Got kicked in the side. I mean, man, he just wore him out. Sometimes I think that that's what, that's, that ought to be one of those descriptions under pastor. Farrier. We're supposed to be helping get you with the shoes of the gospel of the preparation of peace so that when you're walking, you're walking right. You ever seen, have you, I don't know if you've ever been around horses much, but because of being around him, I've, I've seen something. I used to read, I was, I was a big Western fan. If a horse ever throws a shoe, it's like watching you if you got one shoe on. You ever seen? Not that y'all ever been around anybody that's been drinking or nothing like that. I'm not saying that. But if you ever saw somebody that's been drinking and they done lost a shoe, it's bad. <laughs> y'all know. It looks like this. Right? You know, because one foot's about that much. And y'all know if it's a lady and she got them heels going, <laughs> it's bad. When you're not, when you when your feet aren't prepared, right? I hate walking out into our driveway. Our driveway's got some gravel on it and stuff. And if I forget and leave something in the truck and I've already taken my shoes off, it drives me nuts to have to go outside. Cause, Cause my feet aren't prepared for that. I don't care if I got socks on or whatever. You know, I'm walking out there and I'm I'm all ginger, you know, walking and I step on a rock. Oh, oh, you know. Spiritually, we look like that sometimes. Right now in our world, the church often looks that way because our feet definitely are not shod at times with the gospel of the preparation of peace. Instead, we're ready to have on some big old spikes so we can stomp on somebody. We're more worried about who we can step on, who we can, who we can get some traction off of instead of saying, no, I want my steps to be in a, in a way of peace. For them... 
when he was telling them about having your, your feet shod in this armor, they had these things called calthrops. And, and these were, um, they were a spiky thing. They might have three or four spikes on them, but it was so that when they laid them on the ground, that one of the spikes would be sticking up. And you would use them both if you were, um, had a, a, a marching army coming against you or if they had horses. Because if a horse steps on one too, it'd pierce right into their foot. But they could put them out for armies. And if people were walking and they were marching, particularly if they were running so you don't see as much, and you stepped on one of these spikes and it just runs straight through your foot, you know what it'd do? You're now unfit to march. Take you out of the fight. Catch that. Paul says, you need to have your feet shod with these shoes that are part of armor that'll protect you so that when you're running into... Wait a minute, that running thing came from back when we were supposed to have our, our belt of truth on that let us gird up so that we could run into this fight, that we could not be worried about where I'm putting my feet because my feet now are protected They've got the gospel of peace that are on them, but they're protected so that these spikes and all this stuff that's on the ground, I can just walk over the mm, I can walk over the things that other people get put out of the fight because of. See, all oh, the church where we get, we're too easily put on the sideline. I have to pull my sleeves up because I feel like I want to get into the fight right now. It's like, woo! See, we're we're Things come along that we ought to have armor against in our lives, and it puts us on the sideline. It wounds us and puts us sitting on the bench waiting to heal up because that we weren't properly armored against that thing that was coming against us. Have you ever talked to somebody that's in the military or anybody that's, that's um, done any kind of study about tactics? They'll tell you that oftentimes you don't want to kill the enemy. You want to wound the enemy. Because a wounded person now takes up somebody else having to care for them. So if back in these days where you couldn't just like throw somebody on, you know, a, a, a helo and run them back to, you know, on a helicopter and get them back somewhere. Instead, you, you, now we're putting them on on a uh, on something where we can drag them and carry them, or else we got to leave people with them to take care of them. The enemy wants to he wants to wound the church. He knows he can't take the church out. He knows he can't kill the church. But if he can keep wounding people in the church because they're not properly armored up, then he's just constantly putting you on the sideline. Then it takes other people to come along and take care of you. Matthew Henry's commentary said, God described this, this passage about your feet uh, being prepared with the gospel of peace like this. He says, that you may be ready for the combat, be shod with the gospel of peace. Endeavor after that peaceable and quiet mind which the gospel calls for. Be not easily provoked nor prone to quarrel. But show all gentleness and all long-suffering to all men. And this will certainly preserve you from many great temptations and persecutions, as did those shoes the soldiers ah, as did those shoes the soldiers from those cothrums. It almost sounds like the fruit of the spirit, doesn't it? 
gentleness, self-control, long-suffering. So hey, you need to have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You need to have a mind that is peaceable and quiet, that's not prone to want to fight. Because again, we, when we get outside of this, we start fighting with the wrong element. We fight with each other. We go look at the world, and because somebody doesn't agree with us, or somebody, we won't fight with them. Instead of recognizing that the battle is not in the physical. The battle is on our knees. The battle is changing the world through the power of Jesus Christ. It's not, you're not going to legislate it. You're not going to force them out. People break the law. You're going to affect that change through the power of Jesus Christ, changing people. Does that mean we shouldn't attempt to change laws? On Absolutely not. That's, that's not what that means. But it means if we want to change people for eternity, as we shared last week, that when it comes down to it, the heart of the matter is that it's a matter of the heart. Mm. As I thought about this, gospel of peace. I thought, you know what, there's, there's, there's a lot of people within the church world that still have an argumentative spirit when it comes to things of God. And we don't like to hear this, but most often you can perceive that when you look at what they consider their personal life as well as their church life. Because a lot of people act right when they're at church. Man, I'm, I, all three of these are just meddling today. A lot of people act right when they're at church. Why? Because, hey, we're going to be here an hour and a half, you know, whatever, and, and, and we're not going to let everybody see. Because then you've got, you got a pride issue, too. You, know? you don't want everybody to know you've got problems. But we're going to act right while we're at church. But then when we go home, we're talking bad at each other. You're using bad language at each other. You're fussing about stuff. You're fussing at the kids. You're fussing with this. You're fussing with that. you People get, they're argumentative, they're abrasive, they got a lack of gentleness. Fruits of the Spirit again. Gentleness, self-control, long-suffering. They got little amounts of patience. But when you look in your personal life and then you look in your spiritual life, I'm just going to tell you, there's no way you're an impatient, abrasive, argumentative person in your personal life and you're right in your relationship with God. I'm not talking about you not saved. I'm talking about, you, there's not, because look, you're still married to your spouse even when y'all not talking, right? <laughs> y'all ain't talking. You certainly ain't doing nothing else. You know what I'm saying. There's some kids in here. you certainly not having a real close relationship because y'all ain't even talking, but you're still married. See, we get that way sometimes with God. You're his child, but y'all not on the same page, and you're not together, and, and you're, not, you're not in right relationship. Paul says that shouldn't be the case. Our gospel should be one of peace. And it's a peace that's twofold. We have peace with God, and we have peace with others. Bible even has a reminder at one point. He says, he says, know this, vengeance is not yours. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. Well, if vengeance is his then we pretty much ought to be at peace with people, shouldn't we? I mean, because if I'm not going to be the one to take out vengeance on you, or you're not going to be the one to take out vengeance on me, why shouldn't we be at peace with each other? Because God's going to deal with both of us. 
church struggles with that. The church world struggles with that. Part of that's because that we want to define peace our way. Well, we'll be at peace if you get like me. Because then if we alike, we can be at peace. No, that's not peace. That's just sameness. It's not hard to be at peace with somebody that's just like you. If you say, well, we ought to do this, and they go, okay. Well, I want to go eat here. All right. Well, I want you to do this. Yes, sir. That's not peace. That's not peace. It's not. What happens when, when we have two countries that are at war or two countries that are, that are in conflict and they decide they need to call for a peace treaty? They both still have the ability to fight. They both still have the ability to inflict hurt upon each other. But they both decide that it's more important to be at peace than it is to be in charge, to be the winner, to be the one that... I've always said, you can either do right or you can be right. A lot of people don't understand that when they, when they get in their arguments. Uh, I, sorry, this is, this is, here's some family counseling, 101. You, some, some, the struggle that we all have in men, you know, we do it, women, y'all do it. just depends on the nature of your relationship. Sometimes it's a man, sometimes it's a woman, sometimes it's both of y'all. You want to be right. And so you would rather hurt someone in the process in order to prove that you're right than you would to do what's right. And to do what's right is to show love, is to show mercy, is to show grace, is to show peace, is to say, I don't have to win. I would rather be last, because God said he'll make the one that's last first. I'd rather die so that I can live. Can you imagine if people in relationships... I don't care if it's in a marriage relationship. I don't care if, it is, if it's in, in your work relationships, if it's in church relationships, or it's just your relationship with God. If you stop trying to be right and just start doing right. Feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Romans 5 and 1 says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Ephesians 2, 14 and 15. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people. From the two groups. That is such powerful scripture that our country needs right now. That our world needs. I mean, look around all the stuff that's happening around the world. We got, we got people, you know, we go back just within the last year, people trying to drive a truck through France and 80 some odd people die. We've got people shooting each other. We've got people you name it that's happening. We got people prostituting other people, pimping other folks. We got people that are hooked and getting other folks hooked on drugs. We got people that will that will uh, take financial advantage of people. Because see, we all like it. We all like to go, oh yeah, yeah, you know, that's people in impoverished neighborhoods. No, come on. 
There's people in businesses that turn around and take advantage of other people and climb up on the backs of those who, who don't have opportunity and who don't have, and they lie and they steal and they cheat. and do. Look, it happens. It's all people. But it's not supposed to be in the church. It's not supposed to be in God's people. Because you know what? I'm not Jewish. And looking around, majority of y'all, y'all not Jewish either. I mean, we got that narrowed down. There's probably not anybody here today that's Jewish. But you know what that and and, and so so what do we have? Let's let's talk about what we what we have. Let's all we're sitting here today, as we are, you know, every week. What do we have? We have white, we have black. I'm not gonna I'm not we have brown. <laughs> so guess what group in that scripture, guess what group we all fall into? We're not Jewish. So we all fall in the Gentile group, right? He didn't name five, six groups. He said, yeah, Jewish? That was, his, that was, that was God's original. It was his original place. But then he said, hey, I, I have come for all the world. And so you had all the Gentiles, all the rest of us, all of us sitting right here today. And what did he say happened right there? He said he took those two people groups. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, he tore down the wall that separated and said he made one new people. He didn't make white people and he didn't make a black people and he didn't make a brown people and he didn't make Asian people. And that one, not within the body of Christ. Not within the body of Christ. I celebrate our differences. I celebrate our culture and our ethnic differences. Don't, Don't misunderstand that. But yet at the core as people, we are one in Christ Jesus because of the work that he did. We've been brought together to be one people. That means if something happens to someone else, if it happens to you and you're not white, that means it happened to my people. Oh, that'll preach right there. I'm just telling you right now, that'll preach. That'll preach. Because we're one. That's the gospel of peace. That's the preparation of the gospel of peace is that God has allowed us through the work of Jesus Christ to be at peace with him and to be one. I think that lack of peace is one of the main reasons that the church is at times ineffective. Because here's the thing. The church can't be at peace and effective in the community If within the church, people are not at peace within their families, they're not at peace within their marriages, they're not at peace on their jobs, they're not at peace with other people in the community. It's it's that quote-unquote personal life, spiritual life. Your, your, Your whole life is your spiritual life, by the way, but we sometimes, for our minds, work better when we think about, well, I'm not at church, so it's my personal life. If your personal life doesn't reflect the things that the Word of God says your spiritual life is supposed to reflect, then you're not at peace. Because God is over here trying to lead you into being consistent with His Word, but you're inconsistent with it over here in your life outside the church. So your life is in constant conflict. You're not even at peace inside yourself. And so then how can we go into the community here and be at peace? How can we go and have an attitude of peace toward people? Because we're in conflict within our own selves. It's hard for the people of God to tell people about a God who can speak peace if we ourselves are not actively pursuing that peace in the entirety of our lives. 